All right, well, let's go ahead and get started tonight. Um, we're going to uh, do a little bit of a study, kind of continuing a little bit from where we were talking about last week. Last week we were talking about uh, discipleship, and um, we we talked uh, specifically uh, about how to be a disciple of Christ. And there's certain things that uh, that He asks of us. We're going to be one of the the, the passages that, that's very similar to that, very close to uh, the the passages that we talked about before. Um, but, uh, we're going to take a look at a little bit of a different, uh, if you will, take on this subject. It has to do with discipleship, but then at its own time, it's kind of a separate topic in itself, but, uh, we're going to take a look at this, uh, but let's go ahead and start with a word of prayer. We'll get, uh, going and then, uh, we'll get into the, uh, the message. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for the time that we have been given to, uh, just, Study your word tonight. I pray that as we endeavor to look at uh, what you've given us and uh, what you've preserved for us, uh, the things that we find even in nature that reveal uh, your desire for us and who you are, I pray, Lord, that uh, tonight we would just uh, take this and, and uh, apply it to our lives, that we'd have an understanding of how we can please you. And, Lord, uh, what that looks like and the example that's given here. I thank you again, Lord, for uh, this morning. Thank you again uh, for just this day that we've had to uh, come worship, praise you, and learn of you. And I pray, Lord, that we would just continue to do so throughout this evening. And this I ask in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. I'm going to preface this. Uh, I am not a chemical engineer. So if I misspeak on something as far as uh, the exact process, I apologize in advance, but um, you'll, you'll get the general understanding of this. Um, God has made it fairly simple for us to grasp these concepts. Um, and, and, and that's, that's one of the things I really truly enjoy uh, about God is he makes it simple. And then if you really want to get into some complex stuff, you can. Uh, you can, I mean, like I said, you can dig and dig and dig and, and, and you can never exhaust the scriptures. Uh, you can never exhaust the volume of who God is. But still, at the same time, there are things that are fairly simple for us to get. Uh, very easy concepts. But yet, at the same time, they're very complex in, in the way that they, the, the actual process operates. So in, in Luke chapter 14, we, we, we have uh, where we had mentioned it in, in chapter uh, 14, verse 25 uh, through 33. He goes through this uh, discussion of outlining, if you will, the cost of being a disciple. Uh, that it's going to cost something. And, and we're not talking about that tonight. Uh, but he, 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 again, it's the, 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 the part that we're going to look at is in context of that. And as a disciple, one of the key things that we always have to understand is that a disciple through the process of discipline, through the process of, uh, exercising, uh, the, the, the practice of what is being learned through all of that. There is the idea that that student is going to be pleasing the master, whoever is teaching. Uh, that is the concept of a disciple. 
the disciple is, is supposed to have a desire to, if you will, make sure that what they're being learned or what they're being taught is, is learned in such a way that it does, if you will, glorify that teacher. This is why, you know, when you start talking about disciples of men, it becomes very much idolatrous in its, in its form. Uh, but what we find is that being a disciple of Christ is obviously not idolatrous because he is the one that we are, uh, to give worship to. But after he goes through all of this talking about the cost, about uh, saying that, you know, you have to hate your father and mother and so on and so forth and talking about that and then talking about uh, um, making sure that we understand what lies ahead and the difficulties that are there. Um, he He moves to this kind of, if you will, tag on subject. And while it may not seem like it, you know, if you sat down and read it, it may not necessarily seem altogether congruent with what he's talking, but it 100% is. In verse 34 of Luke chapter 14, he says this, salt is good. And he just was talking about, you know, uh, uh, hating people, and he was talking about uh, uh, counting costs, all of these things, and now all of a sudden he just changes the subject just ever so briefly and says salt is good. Just kind of a random, if you will, uh, is kind of seemingly not connected. He says, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land, nor yet for the dunghill. But men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And then it just moves on. There's very little explanation about it. There's very little follow through with it. He just kind of talks about bad salt. Bad salt. And, and, and when we start thinking about that, it, it's very interesting in context of being a disciple. And, and this is where we're, we're really looking at it. And in the context of being a disciple, talking about salt makes a lot of sense. But he, he doesn't really provide in this passage any, if you will, practical application of it. He doesn't get into the details of it. Now, there are two other passages that he talks about, and that's over in Matthew chapter 5 and Mark chapter 9. We'll take a look at those in just a minute that explains what he's talking about here. So this is one of those passages that God puts in Scripture for us to begin to study. Why is he talking about salt right after discipleship? What is the purpose behind it? You know, his only commentary is, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now, again, that's a, a very frequent phrase that we find over in the book of Revelation. And again, he wants the churches to hear the warnings and wants them to hear the blessings. He wants them to hear consequences. He wants them to hear all those things. And while he was talking to individual churches, he was talking to all the churches congruently at the same time. While he was talking to Ephesus, he's also talking to Sardis and Thyatira, you know, all the rest of them, right? Because he talks to all the churches and says, he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. He wants them to listen. He wants them to understand what is being said. And this is the purpose behind it. He wants them, uh, wants the disciples, those that are, are, are there with him, specifically the multitudes, those that are considering being a disciple of Christ, he wants them to understand something. That if you're going to be a disciple, 
and you choose and you've calculated and you've counted the cost, God has an expectation. God has an expectation. Now, again, expectations are, are, are not inappropriate. And then when they come from God, they're something that we really truly have to pay attention to. Because God's expectations throughout scripture is outlined for a believer are very specific. And we should find the same thing here. And, and he, he talks about this. And, and that phrase is really intended to spark what we were talking about this morning, uh, in just kind of briefly is meditation. Have you ever sat down and thought about this passage? Salt is good. Man, how, how many of us remember growing up saying salt's bad? Oh, you can't have salt. You know, salt's bad for your blood pressure and all this and stuff like that. And, and, you know, come to find out all of that stuff is based off of one, one hypothetical study. And they, they, they talk about it. I'll tell you this. And we went through a whole, you know, generations of people not having enough salt. And you know what the problem with that is? You don't have enough salt, you don't have enough metal in your body to cause the electrical current to continue. And that's where people need salts, electrolytes. Why? Because that helps transmit the electrical current. That helps keep your brain cells functioning. That helps keep your nerve endings functioning the right way uh, and your muscles Generally, when people have muscle spasms or they have those, you know, twitches in their legs or, you know, what they call the charley horse and the cramping and stuff like that, man, you get some potassium into you, it will help the situation readily, readily. That was the whole idea behind Gatorade. That's why it was produced, because they wanted electrolytes replacing. Uh, you know, people have electrolyte imbalances. It causes major issues. Those are all salts. Those are all salts. And while he's talking about salt in general, we're going to kind of refer to what we commonly know as sodium chloride. We're going to kind of use that as an example of one of the salts that, that we have. There's different types of salts. There's, there's a potassium salt and all sorts of other salts that, that are good for us that we need in our body, that we need. Sodium is a good one to have because, again, uh, it, it, it helps with those uh, helps with the, uh, um, all of the things that we need for digestion. I'll give you an example. Sodium chloride is important because what happens in the process as it pulls the sodium away and it pulls that chlor- uh, chlorine away, it takes that chlorine and you know what it begins to do when it mixes with certain fluids, say like water and things of that nature, it creates uh, a hydrochloric acid. Want to know why hydrochloric acid is important? Because that's what's in your stomach and helps digest your food. People that uh, have issues with digestion and uh, they talk about acid reflux and they talk about all of that stuff going on, I guarantee you, you gradually increase your salt intake. It will help that combat that because, again, you're getting more of that chlorine in there to create more of the hydrochloric acid to help digest the food properly. Now, as we look at this here, we find that God says it's good. And this is meant, to, to, if you will, to, to, to spark that meditation, if you will, to kind of leave a breadcrumb trail for us to find the principle and the meaning behind it and, and, and how this is related to discipleship. And, and he, he explains this in a parallel verse, and this is where we're going to take a look at the one over in Mark. So keep your place there in the book of Luke. Keep your place in the book of Luke. And let's go over a few pages, <coughs> excuse me, a few pages to Mark chapter 9. 
Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, and again, this is parallel in the the verse. It's not actually the parallel uh, account, because we find there's a little bit of a different, uh, um, um, if you will, topic that he's talking about here in this passage. But at the very end of the chapter, again, he, he, he ends with salt is good, verse 50. Mark chapter 9, verse 50, salt is good. But if the salt have lost its saltiness, wherewith, uh, uh, wherewith will ye season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace one with another. Now, this is an important thing because what we find is, is he's talking about this, uh, uh, if you will, illustration of salt. He's talking about it in the form of being a peacemaker. Now, it's interesting to understand that because if you separate, say, sodium chloride, what happens if you have sodium, raw sodium, and you throw that in water. Anybody ever do that in the science classes and stuff? What happens when you put sodium in water? It's a rather explosive, fiery reaction. It it, it causes something to occur. Somebody took this cube, a good-sized cube of sodium, and threw it into a pool or, or, or a pond or a lake or something. I can't remember what it was. All I remember is, is it went down in, and the next thing you know is there's this detonation. And this column of water and smoke just goes straight up into the air, and I'm like, whoa. But then again, as the little bits of it that have exploded begin to fall down, and they hit the water again, they're like, <laughs> I mean, it was it was like combat. <laughs> there was all sorts of stuff going on, explosions and little pops everywhere. It was It was a pretty amazing thing to see. But that's what sodium does. I wouldn't necessarily call that a peaceful reaction. But when you have sodium and chloride together and the way that they're bonded together, the way that they are essentially one, sharing that one electron in that ionic bond, you know what happens? It becomes a very stable substance. You can't do much with it. But what happens is salt can lose its saltiness. Salt can lose its savor. And that's what this is about. This is what this whole subject about the, 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 you know, if I was to give a title to what we're talking about, we're talking about unsavory salt. You know, when you put salt on your tongue, you have an expectation of what it's going to taste like. We put salt on things to make things, if you will, to enhance the taste, to enhance the flavor, or to really draw some things out. Even Job talks about that. You know, that whole concept where he talks about the white of an egg, you got to put salt on it. Why? Because you ever had just regular, just plain egg white with no salt on it? It tastes like nothing. It doesn't have any flavor to it. But here he is, he's talking about the idea and the concept of having salt is going to help keep the peace. Having salt with one another He's going to help keep the peace. And that makes perfect sense when we begin to understand where he starts talking about how our speech should be uh, uh, with grace always seasoned with salt. You realize that if you're not having grace in your language, 
You know what creates problems? Ungraceful speech. Speech that is not communicating grace of God to help somebody and to edify somebody. That just offends and that creates rifts and that creates problems and that creates breaks in relationships. So what we have here is we've got God beginning to communicate why this salt is important. Why this salt is important. And and again, as a disciple, we have to understand that there's a certain savor that God wants with our Christian life. Some people will talk about this saltiness, you know, in the form of witnessing to another person saying, well, you know, you have to have salt and and communicate with that person and and, and tell them about Christ. And, okay, I, I understand what people are saying with that, but this is talking about something very specific with God. Disciples of God, specifically. Because as we look at this, you know, and you think about it, salt that is corrupted in any way, shape, or form is not fit for anything. It won't do what it's supposed to do. You take salt and you can put salt, uh, um, uh, like they did over there, there was Abimelech, and what did he do? He destroyed the city, and what did he do after he went through and destroyed it? He salted the ground. Why did he salt the ground? Because he didn't want anything to grow. It created a problem with the balance of the soil and nothing would want to grow. If you really truly want to take ground and, and, and ruin it for crops, go just put a bunch of salt in there. You have to put a lot of salt on that. You have to determine to do that. And, and the idea is, is that nothing will grow. That's good salt. But if salt is no longer fit for its use, then it's it's not going to prevent unwanted growth. You know what? It's not going to help yield those nutrients to promote growth. And, and, and he talks about it over there where in, in Luke chapter 14, going back over there to Luke chapter 14, he says, it is not fit for the land, nor yet for the dunghill. It's not fit for either one. Now, why in the world would you put salt on a dunghill? Now, I know this is just really, this is good, excellent discussion. You know, hopefully you guys have already ate. <laughs> you know, back in the day, they did not have sewers. They did not have a little waste treatment plants, you know, operating out there. There was no uh, a Jerusalem sewer district that they, you know, there was, things were very different. Okay. There was, there was dung hills and there were piles that they kept those things around. There was a specific gate that you took the dung in and out of Jerusalem. You didn't take a cart full of dung right through the, you know, the first, you know, you know, the king's gate. Could you imagine that? The king's walking through and then some guy's pulling his dung cart through. Like, whoa! Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's not the purpose. There was a dung gate and that's what the purpose was. It was hauling it out of the city. To put it in a dung heap. And what did they do with that? You would use it as fertilizer. That's what you do with that. And it will grow. It will cause things to grow. Isn't it amazing how even God has created some of our waste and the waste that is, that is deposited still helps growth, helps promote more growth. And definitely you're going to want to wash that lettuce afterwards, but you know, 
You're, you, you, the idea and the concept is is that it promotes growth. You know what salt does? It helps bring out more of the nutrients. It helps produce the right kind of nutrients in that fertilizer. There's the chemical reaction that begins to occur as that salt and the chlorine break down and it creates uh, new chemicals that are in there or whatever other salts that are used. And you meant to draw out those, you know, the nitrates and the, 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 uh, um, the, you know, the potassiums and, uh, and the, uh, um, the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the word just kind of like completely spaced my mind. What's the other one that they make? you know, fertilizer bombs out of. What's that? Phosphates. There you go. Yeah. Uh, here I am asking about fertilizer bombs. I'm going to get in trouble on the internet. <laughs> but you, you understand there's a concept behind it that you want to draw out nutrients so that you can grow and produce the right kind of fruit and you can yield a right kind of crop. You can yield those things. That's the purpose behind it. But if the salt isn't even good for that, if the salt isn't good for preventing sin in life and the salt isn't good for helping things grow, specifically things that we may look at as bad, but we see that there's growth in there, that the Lord turns those things that were bad into something that is good and and we see his glory and, and that salt isn't there and there's no salt in us as disciples of Christ then we are basically not fit. You know what, what what happens in that case? You've got a Christian that has essentially become idle. There's no reaction. They're inert. Now, now if we think about that and, and, and think about the ineffectiveness as every believer, there's supposed to be an effect that we communicate to someone else. There's supposed to be an effect in people's lives. When we interact with them, they should know. As I said this morning, you don't go around telling people that you read the Bible. You demonstrate it through your actions. And if a person is to the point of where there, as a disciple, as he's talking about, you know, salt is good... But if it is not salty and it's not serving its purpose, it's not fit for anything. A disciple that is not producing the right kind of effect, and if you will, a savior unto the Lord, is not fit for anything. Almost kind of has, if you will, some kind of, if you will, brings to remembrance what's going on over there in Laodicea, right? Said, I whether you are hot or cold. He said, you're neither. i spew you out of my mouth. I mean, he makes it very clear there that they've they, they become complacent. They've become idle. They've become ineffective. They have essentially become an inert Christian. And I'll tell you, one of the major pushes today for Christianity, for churches, is that they will become an inert, uh, it will have an inert effect on, on, on social uh, um, uh, issues. That the, 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 it'll be, if you will, something that is of no importance. A police officer was put on suspension just for saying something about uh, gay marriage. He quit. 
because he said he wasn't going to remove it. And you know what the, the issue was? Is he just posted something that said marriage is between a man and a woman, and it's typified with Christ and church, and therefore, you know, there is no thing that we need to have with gay marriage. Got in trouble for that. He was expressing a religious belief, which is protected under the First Amendment, by the way. They don't want churches talking about anything that goes against the society, uh, uh, it, 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 the, the norms that they're creating today. You know what they want? This is what they want. They say, oh, you can have your church and you can have your freedom to do it, but do not bring it into the public. What you do in your church building, as long as it doesn't come out of your church building, what you do in private and you do in the closet of your own worship is fine. That's a horrible thing. They want to push Christians right in the closet to being inert. And this is what we, we, we deal with. And he's saying, look, you got to count the cost. People are going to hate you for it. People are going to hate you if you take a stand for Jesus Christ. People are going to hate you if you say, nope, that's not right. People are going to hate you. And if we become one of the Christians that just become inert, we compromise, we dilute, we break bonds when we're supposed to keep them, problem is, is we become unsalty salt, unsavory salt. The only way for salt, because, you know, we're talking about table salt here, sodium chloride, to, to, to really truly lose its saltiness, uh, from a chemical perspective is, is, is that there has to be a chemical reaction to occur. And salt, salt lasts a long time. I mean, salt's been around for a long time. You go to a salt mine, go lick the rock. No, don't lick the rock. That's just a bad idea. <laughs> That salt's still going to be salty, isn't it? And it's been there for several hundreds of thousands of years, right? Not billions. I hate to disappoint you. But it's only been there for a few thousand years. That salt's there. It still hasn't lost its saltiness. The ocean this is fairly salty. It hasn't lost its saltiness because of the amount that's in there. And, and when you have something like sodium chloride, which is a very stable substance, and, and the reason is, is because that chemical bond is, is so tight. As they're sharing that one electron, and they're holding on to it. And, 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 they're, and, and here's the thing, is they're happy to be together. The sodium atom and the chlorine atom are happy to be together sharing that, and if you will, becoming one and holding on to one another. That's what we call the ionic bonds, right? You're like, man, I didn't know we were going through high school chemistry again. Yeah, okay, sorry. <laughs> You're like, well, I didn't take high school chemistry. This is all new to me. I don't even know what an ionic bond is. I thought ionic was the name of a, you know, electric Kia, or actually Hyundai. But, you know, the, the, the fact is, is that 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 bond that is there is a very stable bond. It takes a lot to break it apart, and it's a very interesting bond in that you can add a bunch of water to it and to dilute it, 
But eventually, as that water disappears, that bond creates again because of how strong it is. And you can take and you can make salt from what is dehydrated there out of the water. I mean, you know, and salt has got so many purposes that it's used for. And one of the primary ones that he's talking about here is obviously to flavor food. You know, it actually sometimes works as a desiccant. It draws water out of food. Uh, It's used to cure food, food for longevity. You ever think about that? Sodium nitrate. It's a salt. It cures food. It doesn't cook it. I mean, it chemically cooks it. But that's interesting. It's cured. It's salted. It creates a certain type of flavor to it. it, it you know, they use salt over there in the uh, in the Rust Belt for traction on icy roads. Different kind of salt specifically, but it's the one that's there, and they use it, and it ruins your car, which is why you never buy one from a place that uses salt. Never buy a used car from a place. And this is why that little Carfax is so great. You can go in there, check online, and go, oh, it's from Ohio. Oh, it's from Indiana. Yeah, I think we're going to skip that car. Because <laughs> you don't want a place, you're going to have rust. You're going to have rust issues. Rusting through brake lines, rusting through gasoline lines, rusting through everything. Because that's what rust does, or that's what salt does. But it creates, tra- and that creates great traction. When we had icy stuff here, you know, not too long ago, there was some salt that was put out there on there to, to help make sure that people didn't slip when they were coming into church. You know, actually sea salt. Sea salt is being used as a natural, it has been for generations as a, as a natural antiseptic and an anti-inflammatory. Salt is good. Jesus Christ said salt is good. And we find that there's multiple purposes for it. And we can take a look at all of that and say, those all have application to the Christian life. Talking about, you know, things that that, that may not be uh, 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 really, if you will, delightful right now can be made savory with the application of it. Things that, that that we look at that we want to ensure that we're uh, in it for the long haul, long suffering, that requires salt, as he said over there in Mark chapter nine, verse fifty. We we realize that it helps, you know, as uh, get moving and keep forward movement in our Christian life. Sometimes when we've become cold. It, it, it helps us to, to, to really, truly get rid of the bad things with the antiseptic and help reduce some of the, if you will, inflammatory responses and the inflammation that occurs in our life that doesn't need to be there. This is what salt does. And even though salt doesn't destroy all bacteria, you know what it does? It creates a little bit of a hostile environment for them because it dehydrates the bacterial cells. It's not like an antibiotic or, or, or some sort of uh, antibacterial soap or something that kills it instantaneously. It just creates a hostile environment. 
And I'll tell you, you know, sometimes we have to create a hostile environment in our life specifically for sin. We have to have hostility towards it. You don't want it. So you know what? Have salt in yourselves. Salt is good. Salt is good. Specifically when we're talking about it in the form of grace as we, we had mentioned. But as we think about this and continue to think about it, you know, for, for salt to have really lost its saltiness and, and, and to change its physical com, uh, uh, composition, it, it, the, truly one of the only ways that you can do that is to just dilute it with water. To break it down from its, its crystalline structure. And, 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 you know, sometimes you can actually use electricity to try to do things with sodium chloride, but it's not very, doesn't respond very well. But somehow you want to break that ionic bond. You want to pull them apart. You want, you want to cause sodium to lose its electron and chlorine to gain that electron and you change the chemical composition of it. You change what's going on with it. But as a disciple, as somebody that is a Christian, we are considered salt. I understand he's talking to the nation of Israel, but if you go over to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, there is a parallel here. Matthew chapter 5, and in verse 13, he says, Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith it shall be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. He says, it's, all you do, use it for is just to throw it down in the ground and it becomes part of the dirt. It goes back to where it came from. And he says that, you know, specifically talking to believers here, he's saying you're salt of the earth. We can't lose that saltiness. You know, think about what happens during the tribulation period. There's going to there's going to be a very big drought of Christianity. There's not going to be a lot of believers. It'll be very 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 few. Talks about a remnant for Israel. The whole world is, 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 if you will, absolutely excited about the Antichrist and is excited that God is not part of their, their, their knowledge any longer. Do you know how bad that's going to be? We think it's bad now. It's going to be, it's going to be horrible. To have no salt. Or very little. That's going to be a serious situation. To lose its saltiness, God, when I talk about God, I'm talking about His Word, I'm talking about His commandments, I'm talking about doctrine, I'm talking about, you know, church, I'm talking about worship, all of those things. You know what happens to have a, a, a saltiness lost with a disciple? It, it's when those things have been diluted in their life. It's when the disciple has, has begun to, if you will, lose that savor that pleases God. That's what, that's what the saltiness is about. It becomes a complacent disciple. 
It becomes a person that uh, really doesn't protect truth in their life. Doesn't, doesn't keep it pure. They begin to mix ideologies in there. They begin to uh, add things to the word of God when he says, don't add that. He says, don't take away and don't add. And people are always taking away, but now we see, we see churches adding and 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 adding. And you've got what, you know, is a two hour, uh, point, you know, two hour time frame that, that, that they come to quote unquote worship, but it's all about the performance, all about that. Some guy gets up there and says something for maybe 15, 20 minutes of something related to scripture, doesn't even have a Bible out, doesn't even directly quote it, doesn't even say anything, but kind of promotes it from a humanistic perspective about, well, you're just all good and you just need to love each other and everything will be fine, right? No. Where's the word of God? It's been diluted. It's been removed. That bond is broken. A disciple that mixes truth with, with, with anything else, there's a problem with that. So you have complacency where they're, where they're allowing the truth to be compromised. And then you have those that are actively engaging in, if you will, some sort of alchemy, trying to mix things together to produce different results that are never going to happen. That's the whole purpose behind alchemy. The alchemist sat there and thought, oh, I can make gold out of all these other substances, and people would devote their lives to this. Why? So that they could produce gold so they could be rich. That was the purpose. That was the purpose. But they go through and they mix all these other things into Christianity, all sorts of other ideologies, whether it's humanism or socialism or even capitalism into Christianity. I understand what capitalism is, but what I'm talking about is I'm talking about the love of money. You know, those that that Paul talks to Timothy about, those that think that gain is godliness. The richer you are, the more godly you are. That is probably some of the most blasphemous stuff that has ever existed. And you know what? It's actively being promoted today. That God wants you to be rich. And if you are not rich, you are out of the will of God. God wants you to be healthy. And if you are not healthy, you are out of the will of God. I'm like, really? Because sometimes, you know, these bodies, they just kind of like break down. They're like a 75 or actually in my case, a 1973 Volkswagen. You never know what's going to happen. <laughs> You're just driving down the road. And next thing you know is all of a sudden it goes. <laughs> and you pull over to the side of the road and you have no idea what happened. Somebody, a Christian that loses its saltiness, a disciple that loses its saltiness, uh, his saltiness or they, they they give up on something. They give up on something, or or um, they something is 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 taken, or something is done to break a bond. 
that bond with Christ. I'm talking. I'm not talking about losing salvation, but I'm talking about losing a, a relationship, being estranged, walking away from the faith, becoming backslidden, hard-hearted against the things of God. They break fellowship with the Lord. I have known many a Christians who were disciples of Christ that just flat out said, I'm done being a Christian. I'm going to go live my own life. They're taking something that's not theirs. You know, that's what happens when that ionic bond is broken. Sodium loses something and chlorine gains something. Because chlorine's got the stronger, more powerful pull. And what do we see? We see the same thing happening with a, with a Christian's life. They, they, they either give up on something or they take something that's not theirs. I've seen a lot of Christians just give up. Just give up. How many, I, I, I mean, and it's getting more and more common. I hear more and more Christians saying, I'm just tired. Uh, I'm just tired and I'm tired of the fighting. I'm tired of continuing. I, I'm just done. You know when you're done? When you're caught up in the air or you're dead. Till then, you're Jesus Christ. And as he said, count the cost. Count the cost. But I'll tell you this, you know, the cost is always worth it. I mean, he died for me. It's always going to be worth it. It's always going to be worth it. But he wants us to realize it. He doesn't want us going in thinking it's all going to be, you know, as as, as people talk about, you know, uh, a bed of roses, a, you know, a bed of ease, as the song says, or anything of that nature. You know, they go in with a rose-colored glasses thinking everything is just, oh, everything is just so wonderful. And it's like, no, no. Things are going to be tough. But you know what? They are wonderful when Jesus Christ is present. It's miserable when he's not. It's miserable when he's not. A, 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 a disciple that has lost its savor is, is one that uh, they, they believe in Jesus, but they really don't want their life to be changed. They don't want to give up what they have. They don't want to give up what what what's, what uh, they think is is more important. You'll hear them say, "Well, I know that the Bible says this, but you know that really doesn't pertain to me, or I don't think that's part of my situation, or I, uh, you know, I just, you know, that that that's a little bit antiquated and outdated, or you know that that was part of their social construct back then, and things like that." Look, if God says that it's a cultural thing, he will clarify it and say it's a cultural thing. And he does do that in scripture. At one point in time, he says, we have no such custom thing. You don't have to do that. But one thing that is very clear is we find from scripture that the Lord is saying, hey, these are things that we need to do. But to somebody that is a, a, a disciple that loses his savor is one that says, yeah, but the, the, but the Bible doesn't apply to me. I don't need to follow that. 
I can be a Christian and a disciple of Christ, but I don't have to do everything he tells me to do. That is, a, that is a salt that has lost its savor. That doesn't taste right. It's been corrupted. It's been diluted. It's been polluted. So the question comes down to this. How do I maintain my saltiness? Now look, when I say how do I maintain my saltiness, I'm not talking about being salty like we talk about it in the world today, which means that your language is somewhat coarse and, and gruff. All right? We're not talking about that type of thing. We're not being, you know, going into that nature. We're talking about specifically what the Lord is, is, is telling us to do. I want you to turn over to the book of Leviticus so you can see what I'm talking about. Leviticus chapter 3. You ever been reading Leviticus for fun? And, um, that was a joke, by the way. <laughs> and you're, you're going through the book of Leviticus and you're, and, and and it's got a lot of stuff. Leviticus is, I mean, it's just, ooh, it is so rich. I mean, it, it is, it is, it is just absolutely packed with material. To to try to exhaust Leviticus is going to be difficult. Um, you know, even to attempt to go through it, you get through the first couple of chapters and you realize all of this is pointing to God. All of it is pointing to Jesus Christ. All of it is pointing in a messianic prophecy to him. I mean, all of this stuff and you're going through seeing it and you're like, wow, this is just, there's just so much. But as you've been going through this, you ever get to Leviticus chapter three and they're talking about all these sacrifices. They've been talking about the sacrifices in Exodus and they talked about them over in Numbers and they're going to, you know, he's talking about them more here in Leviticus. And as you go through this and you get to, to, to verse five, they're talking about these, these, uh, sacrifices. And, and he says here that, um, and Aaron's sons, Shall burn it all on, on, uh, on the altar upon the, uh, the, uh, the burnt sacrifice, which is upon the wood that is on the fire. It is a offering made by fire, a, of a sweet savor unto the Lord. Now that word sweet savor unto the Lord repeats throughout the Levitical law. Throughout what Old Testament uh, specifically the, these books that Moses penned. Over and over again, it talks about a sweet savor, a sweet savor, a sweet savor. And when we think about that, we want something that is a sweet savor. You don't like food that doesn't taste good. You ever bite into something that's just a little too, this, just a little too south of funky, and you're just like, ugh. You spit it out because there's just something wrong with it. Or something that you, you put the first bite in, and I talked about this earlier, put the first bite in and you're going, I do not like this. This does not taste good. And you're like, I just don't want to do it. I just, I just don't want to eat the rest of it. That's not a sweet savor to you. That's unsavory. That's unsavory. So you want to make something savory. You want to make something savory. So what do we need to do? We need to make sure that we maintain our saltiness so that we are constantly, as that living sacrifice in Romans chapter 12, we are a sweet savor unto the Lord. That saltiness is about how savory we are to God as a disciple. 
How savory are we to God as a disciple? Let's take a look at a couple of passages. Go over to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And keep that, 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 that sweet savor unto the Lord as that sacrifice being offered. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And in verse 15, here he says this. What does he say? He says, for we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. A sweet savor of Christ. We should be a sweet savor to the Lord, but also at the same time, as he says here, a sweet savor to the saved and the unsaved. We're supposed to be unto God a sweet savor in them that are saved uh, and, and in them that perish. We're not supposed to be bitter. It, 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 to know one of my friends is, is to really experience him. He's, he's an interesting character. Uh, one time we were, we had Chinese food and, um, and, uh, Amy was looking at, uh, the Chinese food menu and, and they have, they always have one that's called like Happy Family, right? And they have one that's called Happy Family and this one happened to call it Happy Family Reunion. And my wife asked, asked my friend, he said to, to him, hey, 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 do you want some happy, or do you want a Happy Family Reunion? And he just looks at her and he said, with just, I mean, absolute cold dryness that he is. And just, just, I mean, it, it didn't even bat an eye, just, no, I like mine sad and bitter. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there like, I'm dying laughing. I'm like, this is, that's, I mean, it's just, it's just so classic. But you know what? Some people choose. They want the sad and the bitter. They want the sad and the bitter. They, they, they like that bitter, sour tasting stuff in their mouth. And I'm not talking about like that sweet and sour, like, you know, you get a, a sour candy or something like that. I'm talking about something that is just so bitter, you just can't bear to keep it in your mouth anymore. It makes you pucker so hard, you suck your fillings out. <laughs> that stuff. That's not what we are to be as Christians. He says, I want you to be a sweet saver. I want you to taste good. I want you to be pleasant. What is pleasant? Pleasing. Pleasing. Take a look at another passage. Uh, he says in, in Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5 and in verse 2. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2. He says, and walk in love as Christ also loved us and giving and uh, has given himself to us for an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. You know, you realize that what Christ did on the cross was the the best-tasting thing God has ever had. We talked about it this morning, how it accomplished everything for salvation. In Him, the fullness of everything dwells. He is our all in all. All of that. And it is a sweet-smelling savor what he did. 
As horrific as the scene may have been, the fact that he would come and in love do that and give of himself in such a way as Christ loved us, giving himself, as he says here, has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. When we discount the cross of Christ and we discount our salvation, we lose our saltiness. We lose our saltiness. We're supposed to be a sweet savor, but we can lose that sweet-smelling savor and become rather pungent and malodorous. Go back over to the book of Leviticus and see this. This is an important principle that we realize all of this, and you start tying it into this idea of sacrifice, and you tie it into that that that, that uh, a, a Christian is to be a living sacrifice according to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Um, we, we find in Leviticus chapter 2, specifically, what the, the, the priests were supposed to do in verse 13. Back up to verse 12. As for the oblation of the first fruits, you shall offer them unto the Lord, but they shall not be burnt on the altar for a sweet savor. There's a certain one that wasn't to be done that way. But here's what he says. And every oblation of thy meat offering, thou shalt season with salt. Neither shalt thou suffer the salt of the covenant of the, thy God to be lacking from thy meat offering. With all thine offerings thou shalt offer salt. You know how much salt they would have had to go through? You ever sit down and calculate how many animals died during, you know, Jewish law? That was a lot. That was a lot. But it was to be done a certain way, and what was it to be done with? Salt. Why? So it would be savory. All of them were to be done that way. There was a specific one that wasn't to be done, but he says all the rest of these, you need to make sure that, yeah, you're doing that one with salt, but as a matter of fact, with everything, all of them, you need to use salt. You need to use salt. This is what we as believers are supposed to understand. If we're to use salt and we're to be a sweet smelling savor and, 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 and God is saying that, that the, what was accomplished on the cross was done as a sweet smelling savor, all of these things being done so that they're pleasing unto God. A Christian, a disciple that isn't salty is one that is no longer pleasing. There's a person that is living outside of faith. It's a person that's living outside the will of God. It's a person that gives no care for what the Lord thinks. That's, uh, that, that is a disciple that is good for nothing. Take a look at Second Chronicles. I want you to see this. And if you notice there in, in, in that passage over there in Leviticus chapter 2 verse 13, he talks about salt of the covenant of thy God. Go over to Second Second Chronicles chapter thirteen. Second Chronicles chapter thirteen. <clears throat> How did God signify His covenant that He made with David about His His reign, about His lineage? And what does He say here? He 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 says in verse, uh, you know, talking about this is obviously a lot long, a, a while after you know His death. 
And in verse 5, it, it, just I want you to see this passage. He says, Ought ye to know, that, or excuse me, ought ye not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingdom over uh, Israel to David forever, even to him, to his sons, by a covenant of salt. Salt is symbolic of that covenant. Salt is good. When God makes a covenant, he'd seal it with the salt. Salt was there. He sealed this, this covenant of salt, if you will, with David. It's still going to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. There's a covenant of salt over there in Leviticus chapter 12, or excuse me, chapter 2, verse 13. So when we start talking about salt is good and, and, and Jesus is talking to a bunch of uh, Jewish individuals over there and he says salt is good, they understand why salt is good. Because salt is used in the sacrifices unto God to be sweet smelling savor. It's, it's used in formation of the covenant that God has with man. Salt. Salt. You know, a person that is a disciple or says they're a disciple of Jesus Christ but cares nothing about the covenants of God, that cares nothing about what God has done for them, is the same kind of person that Esau was, despising a birthright. That's a message in its own right. One of these days will get preached. (laughs) But not taking what the Lord has given them. Not believing the promises. You know, God has covenanted with us, saying all you have to do is trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Those passages, right? There's a covenant. There's a covenant of forgiveness of sins and there's a covenant of eternal life. And, and, and that covenant isn't going to be broken. But I tell you, we can really show the world that we despise that covenant by not pleasing God with the savor that we gave, we admit. By not taking into account how important it is that our sins are forgiven and how important it is that we have a home in heaven and how important it is to live for Jesus Christ and how important it is that he died on the cross and redeemed me and I am not my own. We maintain saltiness by making sure that that is at the forefront of our mind. The last one I want us to turn to is over in Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. Remember what it said over there with uh, Mark chapter 9 verse 50, salt is good, but if the salt have lost his saltiness, wherewithal will ye season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace one with another. You know what the biggest problem about causing war and strife is? Is when we say the wrong thing. 
Colossians chapter 4 and uh, in verse 6, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how ye ought to answer every man. If our speech uh, is to be always with grace, it means that we're always communicating God. We're communicating the works of Christ. We're communicating what he's done for us, his blessings, his promises, all of those things. We're communicating all of that to the believer and the unbeliever alike for comfort and also for salvation, for edification and for hope. For those, for those purposes, we are seasoning our speech with salt. If we focus more on talking about Jesus Christ and his sweet smelling savor, then we are going to spend a lot less time talking about stuff that's going to get us into trouble. And if we have salt within ourselves, and we are showing that grace of God in our lives to other people, it's going to come out in our speech because it's going to be in our heart. This is why it becomes very important to to, to take a look at these verses like that and realize that we can be pretty unsavory. But God will desires us to have that sweet savor. All sacrifices were to have salt, including ours, including our life, what we do. And what is it supposed to be seasoned with? And he talks about that salt. He talks about it as grace. There is no greater way to communicate peace than to talk about the grace of Jesus Christ. For by grace are ye saved, through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know what that means? Grace communicates peace. You want to communicate peace with one another? You're going to demonstrate you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. Remember, that was one of the qualifications for being a disciple. You showed that you loved one another. A disciple that doesn't do that has lost his saltiness. He is no longer savory and he is no longer pleasing unto God. This is why we have to maintain that saltiness. This is why that comment about salt is good shows up right after talking about the cost of discipleship. Pretty important subject. Let's go ahead and be closed with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for this time. I thank you again for an opportunity, Lord, to just look at the subject of salt and look at our lives and look at our lives as disciples of you and uh, whether or not we're pleasing unto you. And Lord, I don't think anybody here doesn't want to be pleasing unto you and doesn't want to be that sweet savor that you've called us to be. But Lord, I pray you would just continue to work in our hearts that we would. That we would use that grace. We would season with salt, Lord. The sacrifice that we give. The sacrifice that we are on a day-to-day basis. Because of how much you have sacrificed for us. That was that sweet-smelling savor. And Lord, again, I just thank you for all that you've done for us. I pray you take us home safely tonight. Thank you again for this time to just look at this subject matter, Lord. And I pray that... You'll use it in our lives, meditate on it, think about it, Lord, that we would be 
pleasing unto you. And these things I ask and pray in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.